Hello everyone, my name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. Today we have my friend Jason Prawl on the show talking about longevity and his new project called the Human Longevity Project. Jason went to great lengths traveling all over the world to six different countries, interviewing 94 people, a number of centurions for the project, and really gets down to, you know, what, what does it take to live to be 100 years old and beyond? Uh, what are the different components, uh, the common denominators in living a long, healthy, happy life? And uh, we talk a little bit about the Blue Zones, Dr. Dan Butner's uh, amazing project, and all the different common denominators in living a long, healthy life, and, you know, kind of blow some of the, the, the typical... Um, known factors in living a long time, like maybe beans are not not the common denominator that we think just because a lot of centurions living today do eat beans or they do all eat fish. It's not that simple. It's much more complex than that. We delve into all these subjects. A very, very interesting conversation today on the podcast. If you want to learn my top 10 tips to detox like a pro, I created a checklist. Uh, I've worked with thousands of clients and I, I distilled the top 10 tips that can you know help you to detox uh, easily and simply and these are the top 10 tips you can get by going to detoxforenergy.com and downloading this free checklist. Today our guest is Jason Prawl. He is a longevity and optimal health practitioner who works remotely with individuals around the world to provide solutions for those struggling with weight loss or suffering from complex health issues that their doctors have been unable to resolve. As a nationally recognized speaker and host of the You Optimize radio show, he's been able to share his unique and innovative approach with a global audience, which has facilitated the transformation of thousands of lives with simple, practical, and powerful solutions to combat chronic health conditions and drastically improve quality of life. Jason soon uh, releasing documentary film series called The Human Longevity Project, uh, which is set to uncover the complex mechanisms of chronic disease and aging and the true nature of longevity in our modern world. You can look for that to release May 7th. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in health. Well, I, I started off as a mechanical engineer, uh, doing that for 10 years or so, and, and my health issues basically prompted me into this field. Um, wasn't really something I planned on, except for the fact that there was no answers that I was that I could find for the problems that I was I was dealing with. So, you know, major issues with my knees from 13 years old, and then skin issues in my 20s, basically led me down a path of of self discovery when it comes to health. And what I found was that everything that I was being told was basically nonsense. And so that kind of thrust me into this world of, of I don't know, holistic, integrative, functional, optimal health type of, of strategies. And, um, you know, from there, I just, I was working with a lot of clients and, um, and that just kind of, you know, perpetuated my, my understanding, my, uh, my, the discovery of new things that I think you can only really uncover when you work with people you know you can read research and you can um, test things on yourself and that that will give you some level of understanding Um, but i think as you start to work with people you start to really see the holes in some of the theory and some of the holes in the things that you thought didn't apply or might apply to you and they don't apply to somebody else and so you know that really kind of opened me up to, to sort of 
being pretty humble with what I thought I knew because it turns out that a lot of the stuff that I was I, I was under the impression of was completely wrong. Yeah. So, what, what prompted you to focus on longevity as a practitioner? Because you just you created a new docu series that's coming out soon called the Human Longevity Project. So, why longevity? Uh, I think honestly because I, I got tired of focusing on disease. Um, you know, everybody that I was working with had chronic issues, right? From you know digestive symptoms to you know hormonal imbalances to hair falling out, infertility, autoimmune diseases, you know, all these things that we typically hear and, and see in the, in the functional and integrative space. And, um, you know, I just, it shocked me because I think what was missing was this understanding of health and what health is and where it comes from and um, why we're not discussing health more. You know, we're, we're always trying to, you know, resolve disease and figure out disease and figure out these dysfunctions and explain them. But, you know, I think what was missing in, in my estimation of the field was this uh, sort of teaching of health. And so, you know, that's kind of really where I wanted to focus um, because I figured there was there was more headway to make. Um, there was more impact. I think when you when you start to teach people how what health is, where it comes from and how to do it, then all the disease stuff may never occur. Right. So we can sort of skip that whole step. And what's interesting is that that's what you kind of find around the world. Right. Um, you know, I, I think there's a famous quote that says the superb physician treats disease before it occurs. Yeah. So I think this is what we see around the world is that there's this this lack of chronic disease. And so the question is, is, is not how do we solve chronic disease, even though that may be part of the equation or the bridge. But I think the, the more important and fundamental question is, is how do we avoid chronic disease and what are we doing wrong? What are we not understanding about our own biology, our own health to basically skip this whole aspect of our culture. Yes. Yeah. And it's so important. Prevention is key. I mean, that just living a healthy lifestyle and it, it's not complicated. Just eating no. a healthy diet, exercise, just b very basic things, but it's very easy in our culture and all the advertising and the fast food and the, the convenience uh, that many people enjoy uh, with our food is causing all this chronic disease. And then our conventional mainstream medical system is only compounding the problem. So uh, what do you feel is the most important thing to understand about how to create overall health? I, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that health is already there, right? Health is the default operating system. It is the, the mode by which you are meant to sort of uh, interact with the world. Um, so it's not necessarily something that we have to create, I don't think. Um, I think it's, it's already there and we just have to allow it um, and get out of the way to some degree. And I think uh, the culture, the environment, the uh, lifestyle practices, the mentalities, the emotions, all these things are basically creating problems uh, that manifest in things that don't look like health. And so I think if we accept the fact that it's sort of our innate, inborn, um, mode of operation, then we can sort of align with that. That's all we have to do is just align with what's already there. And so I think it's accepting that understanding and then figuring out, okay, well, what does that mean? How do I align with that? Um, and how do I basically stop all these other things that are preventing the health from just sort of naturally blossoming, right? I mean, if you think about a seed and planting a seed in the soil, you don't have to, you know, train the seed. It's not like there's things that you got to coach the seed on to grow into, you know, a flower <laughs> or to a tree, yeah. right? Like it's already there and you just have to provide the right environment, right? So it's not like that the seed has to come up with some skills or it has to be taught. Um, it just has to have the right environment. And I think that's the same thing with us. 
It's just that we tend to get in our in our way a little bit, and we from the get go, even preconception, before we're even uh, you know on this planet, um, we may be sort of behind the eight ball to to a large degree because of just the the transgenerational issues that we're starting to see because of the environment, the society, as you mentioned, the convenience and the food and all these things that are sort of uh, that we're doing wrong. And, and I think more than that, it's not necessarily, I don't think we can fully place the blame on the individual. I think it's more of a collective. It's a societal thing yes. um, that we have to look at. And so I think we kind of relieve some of the individual burden off ourselves a little bit. And, uh, and, but yet at the same time, accept responsibility, right? So it's not a matter of skirting responsibility. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think we should be placing so much blame on ourselves for the, the things that maybe we, we don't see in terms of health. Yeah, well, I think it's tough for a lot of places around the United States. There's nowhere to get fresh food. There's nowhere to get organic food or people don't have never learned about gardening or farming. And so people grow up just kind of, you know, like a fish in water by their surroundings are surrounded by fast food and convenience and processed foods. And they just don't know anything besides that. Yeah. Um, so the blue zones are very, very famous. So did you interview uh, Dr. Dan? Is it Butner who created Butner. the Butner yeah. who created the blue uh, zones? Yeah. No, we, we didn't interview Dan. Um, we did interview Michelle Poulon, who was the uh, original demographer, who basically did all the the scientific work to verify, mm. um, you know, if these people were a hundred and how many there are and what's the concentration. So I think his his first paper came out in, in the year 2000, I believe, something to that effect. Um, and he was the one really looking at a lot, a lot of this stuff um, at, the, at the scientific level. And so um, so we, we spoke with him um, and we did travel around uh, the world to a, a lot of the areas that are known for longevity um, and some other areas. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, I think there's been a lot of work done on the blue zones. But for us, with our project, it was not a matter of studying the areas or the locations because I don't I think I think there's been too much emphasis placed on these regions as if there's something yeah. special about these regions. Yeah, yeah. And the, in my opinion, there's not. You know, it, I think the problem is that people are looking. Okay, is it the soil? Is it volcanic soil? Is it the fact that they're near sea and they eat lots of sea, seafood? Is it the fact that they're near in equatorial regions? They're looking at all these things that are location based, and I think they're missing the point when we do that. I think the more important thing is to to look at the people that create the societies in those places. I think the fact that many of the blue zones are island nations or island areas, I think is interesting. Um, I think there's there's some genetic um, implications there, which is to say that there was not a lot of intermixing between mitochondrial genes and, and human genes. And so therefore you could sort of optimize genomes for that, that climate, that region, that environment. So I think there's some degree of that. Um, but at the end of the day, the, there's so much difference. I mean, in, in Sardinia, for example, you have the mountainous regions that are known for their longevity. It's not the entire island of Sardinia. It's hmm. only specific villages in in Sardinia. And they are in the mountains, you know, with a really amazing mountain water. They have, um, you know, they're shepherds. They, so, so it's a very different thing than just to say, okay, the whole entire island of Sardinia is known for their longevity because that's not true. So, um, so yeah, I think there's some fascinating aspects to each place. Um, but really, I think what you have to look at is the, is the cultures and the, and the people and the way that they live their life. And I think that is ultimately what's going to dictate uh, any kind of health and, and, and longevity. Um, you know, but I think, again, it's not really necessarily a longevity thing. I think the, the thing that we all want is a quality of life late into our years, right? Yeah. So it's, 
it's a matter of, I think anybody that wants to live to 150 and for 60 of those years feel like crap and are on medications and can't move and can't think and can't see. I mean, I don't know anybody that really wants that, right? So um, this is what's impressive to me about a lot of these places is that they have this sort of longevity, but but really what they have is an amazing quality of life and amazing function into their 90s and beyond 100. It's truly amazing. Yeah, and some of the, the common longevity aspects in some of these blue zones is their community and the sense of oh, support huge. and community that they have. And that's one of the, the seven components that uh, fosters longevity in these blue zones. Yeah, I think community is um, very, very key. And I think it goes back to kind of what we were discussing earlier, which is that, you know, basically as individuals, we become a product of our environment to some degree. Now we can skew from that, right? We can divert from the cultural norms, um, or as you know, uh, Vishen Lakhiani would say, the culture scape, right? The landscape that is provided by the culture is dictated by the culture. But the problem with that, you know, um, take for example, let's say 20 years ago, right? And you were eating organic food and buying organic food and maybe even growing organic food. You were kind of the outlier in most communities, and to some degree, still are, if depending on where you're at in the U.S. Um, but 20 years ago, certainly, you were not, that was not the norm to find and eat and buy and you know source organic food. And so just doing that alone, you're kind of on your own. You, you know, you, you, in a way, you're outside of the community. And so this, is, this becomes the challenge that understanding health. I mean, take, take, for example, right now, people wearing blue blockers. We've got all kinds of these things that are starting to creep into the normal, <laughs> normal arena. But even still, like if you, and went, you, can, if, you can spot the biohacker nerds with their, <laughs> right, their blue right. blocker glasses. Right. But if you if you went to, you know, a party or whatever with blue blockers on, like you wouldn't fit in. And this is a part of community, right? We all want to fit in. We all want to be a part of the group. We all want to be included. We all want to feel good about our surroundings. And if we can't do that because we're making good, healthy decisions and the group is not, does that improve your health or not? We, I don't know the answer because you're going against the community and the, and the crowd, but you're making better decisions. So this becomes the challenge of, of yes, community is critical and also hopefully the environment and the healthy aspects and the lifestyles are part of that. And so you know, it may be more beneficial to make poorer uh, food choices is if you're sitting and hanging out with family and friends and you're having a great time than it is to make amazing dietary decisions and eat alone, right? Mm -hmm. So this becomes the really tricky part. And I think it's been shown that community is so, so critical um, to the point where it actually is more beneficial. Uh, not having friends is more harmful for your health yeah. than smoking. Right? Yeah, and this that's smoke. that's something that's sad about our our society. I don't think we really value the elderly like yeah. we do in Japan and Okinawa and, and other some of these other blue zones. Um, and like Japan, the elderly are some revered and celebrated and supported much more so. And I think a lot of the elderly here are very isolated. You know? Yeah, and, and if and if you don't feel like you're a part of things and you're, you know, 84, I mean, I don't know, I, perhaps you, there's something inside of you that sort of just dies, and right, yeah. and you're like, okay, well, we're, we're we don't need to be here anymore, right? So I think if you don't have a purpose um, in your community and in your family and in your local area, then it's it's probably more difficult to maintain good health and and achieve these these you know these older ages uh, in in good fashion. So I think the elderly serving a role, and it's not like the elderly are pitied in these areas, right? And like okay, mom's got to have to live with us. It's like 
you know, mom's coming in to help me with the kids so that I can go out and do things, right? And, you know, grandma's teaching uh, the grandkids things and, and, and granddad's teaching all these skills and they're still playing a valuable role, right? I mean, these people are in the areas that we went and then the elders that we spoke with, I mean, they're still very functional at 80 and 90. I mean, yeah. the guy in Costa Rica was 91 and he still goes out back with the machete and, and takes care of some brush to clear the field. That's going to be me <laughs> at 90, 91. <laughs> you get with a machete? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, so it's, it's, it's not like um, they're just sitting around, you know, they're still, they still have a role in the community. And I think, I don't know how we incorporate that, you know, in the U.S. I mean, we're so far from that. Uh, but I think we have to at least think about how we can integrate that into our lives more if, if we want health as we get older. Well, how can people in the U.S. or the Western cultures use these lessons from the Blue Zones? I mean, I think that the, there's two main lessons, I think, that we can take home right now, which is to say that the, the easiest thing we can do, um, and there's no excuse for it really, uh, not to do it, is to simplify our lives in every way. So there's nothing preventing us from doing that, right? To simplify our lives. Um, and this can go lead from food to, you know, relationships to the, uh, the clutter around your house to all the things that you think you need and the time that you're spending, right? I mean, we do so much and we have so much and we use so much that we're polluting the environment. We're polluting our, our mind. We're polluting our emotional states. We're polluting our space. Right. So I think that is the easiest thing we can do is just start to simplify, use less, create less, you know, move less to some degree, but also in more intelligent ways, um, more functionally. Um, I think just slowing down and simplifying our lives is profoundly critical if you want to mimic their lifestyle, because everything they did was simple. Um, they didn't have all these things that we have and they didn't do all these things that we do. I mean, we try to do so much now because we have the capacity to do so, right? With the technology and the convenience of everything, we feel like we can do everything uh, on our own. And so I think that places a huge burden on our on our brain, on our nervous system, right? And our cognitive capacity to function. We get this decision fatigue. We get this overwhelm, this overload. And from a mental, emotional standpoint, I think this is where it really comes in because uh, the nervous system gets so, thrown so far out of balance. And if you can't get back into this parasympathetic state because you're doing too much and you have too much, um, uh, to some degree, I don't know how much benefit it's gonna be to eat well and to do some of these other things because you can't get into a rest and digest state anyway. So whether you're eating healthy food or not, if you're not in a rest and digest state, is it beneficial, you know? so. I think it's so critical that we come back to that a little bit and I think it's easier than we think um, we don't have to have all these biohacking tools and uh, we don't have to meditate we don't, just need to don't say that Dave Asprey might hear you and here's the thing like biohacking th and these new technologies are cool and they're fun so if, you, if that's your game and you love that stuff use it and have fun with it right but if you hate it and you think that that's what you need in order to be healthy i think you're sadly mistaken and if and if somebody's telling you that's what you need to be healthy i mean it's just insane right so uh, i think we need to slow down and calm down and simplify our lives in every way i think the other things that we can do well the other main theme i, I would say is to just integrate with nature so if something you're doing is not how nature would do it or is against the grain of sort of the natural ways then it's 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 hurting you in some way, maybe a byproduct, you know, maybe a secondary effect, maybe a tertiary effect, but at some point it's going to hurt you, right? So whether it's drinking water out of a plastic bottle, 
right? Okay, yes, you have the toxins in the plastic bottle, but then you have the plastic bottle itself, which is going to end up in the environment somewhere, which at some point in time is going to end up coming back around to either hurt you or some other human, right? So this sort of the environment is a reflection of, of us and our behaviors, and it will get mirrored back to us, like inevitably, right? Whatever we do to the environment comes back to us. It's, it's, there's no other way. So I think if we just start thinking a little bit differently and how can I integrate with nature, then over time, you know, things start to get better and, and the reflection back upon us is, is more in our favor. So you can think about this in a, any number of ways, but I think a, as a general theme, integrating with nature is just a simple way to induce health. Yeah, so as far as longevity is concerned, the blue zones, there were seven different components that contributed to longevity. Can you briefly go over those? Yeah, you know, I have a, some... Did you read uh, the book? <laughs> I, I, I didn't you read do, it. Homer. I skimmed it and I know the things, but <laughs> I, I would disagree with them. Um, uh-huh. Not because they're wrong necessarily, but, I be, but because they're drastically incomplete. Mm. So I think there was something to the effect of eating mostly a plant-based diet, uh, drinking wine at five o'clock, uh, community purpose. Um, Remember something in there about fish and beans? Being yeah, like a something. Common denominator. Uh, yeah, beans. I think, or yeah. So, so I think this is a this is a in my opinion, this is a novice way of explaining things, right? In yeah. other words, we're just going to identify the things that we see over and over. Well, that's great. But okay, how about electromagnetic fields? Where do they come into play? Yeah. How about uh, circadian rhythm, where does that come into play? How about birthing practices? Uh, where does that come into play? Right? Um, there's so many things now. So I, I don't, you know, toxins, where are the, where's the toxin dis- discussion? They're everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but see, here's, here's the thing, here's the, the thing that I think was drastically missed in the, in the previous studies of longevity. And it's often forgotten about. It's the historical context of longevity. So if you're if you're talking to a person that's 95 or 100 years old right now, just to keep the math simple, they were born in 1918, and not only that, if they weren't born in the U.S. and they were born in some random island in Greece or, you know, in Okinawa, 1935 Okinawa is quite a bit different than the U.S. So we can't compare beans and you know these type of things to what they were doing there. So. I mean, in, in the places that we were visiting, they didn't have electricity until 1970 or 1950 in one place and 1970 in another. So think about what that means. Some places didn't have electricity until 1970. Hmm. That means for most of the person's life um, that's 95 years old or 100 years old right now, they didn't have refrigeration, they didn't have freezers, they didn't have you know, automobiles uh, in any meaningful way. You know, I mean, people were mostly walking or on horseback or on carts. Um, you know, they didn't have transporting of goods and food. Um, they didn't have lighting that was disrupting their sleep and circadian rhythms. Everything was different. You know, imagine giving birth without electricity, right? I mean, this is totally different. Everything no, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Everything changes, right? So, so we have to remember the historical context of these things. I mean, water. You know, simple plumbing doesn't uh, occur. You know, in these in these situations. So we can't look at, okay, just because they eat beans, like, all right, whatever, you know, they're just close. Yeah. And I think that begs the question when we're thinking of centurions and them being born, say a centurion today was born in 1918 uh, or before. And they grew up with this strong foundational diet, strong bones, strong foundation of health that then has carried them 
into their their later years that that health has stayed with them even if maybe their diet's straight or they started eating tv dinners in the 1970s or whatever the case may be but today it doesn't seem like the prognosis is very good for living a long life because so many people grow up eating cereals and grains and processed foods and what are your thoughts on that on on the the future generations of living a long lifespan I, I, I'm actually somewhat optimistic, believe it or not. Um, I think in so many ways we've done so much damage. And the, the, here's what we have to recognize is that there's generation, generational accumulation of damage, right? So if grandma made bad decisions and grandpa made bad decisions and then mom and dad did too, and then I did in my youth and now I'm starting to wake up and care about my health, well, I kind of got a long way to go, right? So. But that's not to say that things can't be done. And so I think that we've had this accumulation of, of degeneration of the sort of human genome, mitochondrial genome, and the environment uh, that we need to work our, our way out of. But I think the technology and um, the awareness is really starting to ramp up. I mean, because we've gotten so sick, like there's, there's a need for this now, right? So everybody's moving into the health field. Everybody's starting to think about what they're eating. Everybody's starting to think about how they're moving. Meditation's becoming a thing. Yoga is becoming a thing, right? So we now have these apps and these technologies that are going on our head and up our nose and looking at our microbiota. I mean, we're changing, right? And this has all happened. I mean, you've been in this field long enough. I mean, this is fast. Like, I mean, yes. this is in the last 10 years, things have just shot through the roof in terms of what we're focusing on, right? So. I think in the next 15, 20 years with the way technology moves and now a refocusing of technology onto health and on, onto longevity in particular, we're gonna, it's going to change so fast. So I think there's a lot of, lot of hopeful things to look forward to, um, but we may still have to trudge through the mud a little bit as we go. I think the only thing that I would say is that if we're looking to technology to save us, um, I think we're sadly mistaken because we are biological creatures. And I don't care what Ray Kurzweil says he can do, um, we're much more complicated than uh, than a human. In fact, I mean, we're not even human. One would argue, you know, most of us is is microbiota, virus and and micro and, and uh, bacteria. Yeah, I'm just so, a big virus. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we all are, right? So, I mean, we're just a big petri dish carrying around these microbes, and they do most of the things for us anyway. So, you know, I think. I think we have to remember that, that we're always going to be a part of nature. We are biological systems. We are multi-organism systems that work together. So uh, we can look to technology, and I think there's a lot to be hopeful for there, but we also need to combine that with sort of this reintegration uh, with nature and a, a more cohesive and a, a lifestyle that's more in alignment with basically the entirety of human history, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting you talk about technology and people looking to technology to save them. And I used to, as a teenager and after, look, I was reading Scientific American, look at the latest drugs, the latest breakthroughs to cure cancer and, and all of these, the latest medical testing equipment and all of these things that potentially provided hope to cure disease. But the really, the key is prevention and going back to these basics with diet and exercise, sunlight, circadian rhythms, and, and just going back to our ancestral way of life how our bodies mm -hmm. have evolved over millions of years to to function healthily yeah and i think that's where technology can come in and sort of help guide us right so you take something like the aura ring right which i'm not affiliated with other than i like their stuff 
Um, this aura ring, if, if you're not familiar with it, goes on your on your finger and you wear it at night particular, uh, you can wear it all day, but it looks at heart rate variability, it tracks your sleep, right? So in this way, a device that can sort of measure how we're doing, you know, these, these parameters, as long as they're good parameters, you know, and, and the aura ring, it, it does have, does measure the correct and good parameters, um, then it can help guide our, our, our behavior, our lifestyle, right? So a lot of the stuff, you know, we're, we're thinking, okay, I'm gonna try this diet. But you don't really know if it's working for you unless you're doing either significant testing on the right things or you feel a difference, right? And, and or you might be using an infrared sauna or red light therapy, you know, we get all these new cool things that we're trying and doing, but a lot of times we don't know if it's having the effect that we want, you know, um, exercise. We know exercise is good. When do you do it and how much and how hard? It's gonna change based on each day, right? I mean, if you get crappy sleep, then you might not wanna work out so hard. If you get great sleep and you're well rested and you're well fed, you might have a good workout, right? So, it, but if we can track these things, our sort of biometrics and say, okay, well, where am I at? Okay, it looks like I'm, I'm really well rested. This would be a good day for a hard workout, right? So I think these are the type of things where technology can come in and assist us and show us and help us understand how to behave in a, in a way that's you know, that, beneficial to our health. If we're looking at technology to come in and do something to us, then I think we're gonna continue to get far off track. Because again, it's, a, it's about how we behave. It's about our lifestyle. We have to take ownership of what we're doing. We can't look at technology and go, okay, uh, I'm gonna make these really bad decisions. Just shine that light in my eye and do this thing and then that'll save me, right? So it has to be this sort of cooperative thing with technology. And I think if we do that and we use technology in a responsible way, not something that's just going to track my steps. I mean, that doesn't do anything for you, right? So um, we need technology to, to show us things, to change our behavior that it will be in a more, more congruent way with uh, sort of a natural lifestyle. Yes, yes. So tell us about your docu-series, The Human Longevity Project. Uh, when yeah. I, I spoke to you in San Diego, I saw you at the Digital Marketer Conference. I was really uh, impressed with the links that you have gone to, to, to document longevity. So you did, was it a hundred or 200 interviews? It was, oh God, 200. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if it was 200, but it was close. <laughs> it was, we did, I think, uh, 94 interviews with 94, various yeah. experts. And then we did 22 interviews with elders around the world. Okay. Yeah. At how many countries did you go to? Uh, we ended up going, I think we were in about five or six, um, uh, in total. And, you know, the idea there was to go to enough places around the world such that genetics change, you know, their genetics are different and diet is different. And if we can sort of knock those two out of the equation, then we can look at things that really matter. So everybody wants to know what the longevity diet is, right? And I think this is such a funny question because we've known for a long time that, that diets vary all around the world. And imagine, again, if you were living in 1942, Costa Rica, like there's no debate on what your diet is. <laughs> you just eat what's there, you know? So this is the way humans have operated basically forever until the last 150 years. So the diets that people have are based on their geography and based on their seasons. And so to, to suggest that there's one diet uh, or an optimal way of eating is a little ridiculous. Um, that would suggest that in some parts of the world you can be you can live long and healthy and other parts of the world you couldn't and that's we know that's not the case so so we went to we wanted to go to enough places to sort of uh, break those those two aspects down and um, and also look at the various lifestyles and cultures um, that 
maybe seem to line up, right? So what are the practices that seem to be uh, consistent in some of these places? And so, um, again, I think what we wanted to do was go deeper than what's than the, the surface level stuff that we've seen before, right? Um, the, the fact that these places, pe- most people eat beans in the in the places that they're in, it, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah, um, I, I thought, well, if- all these people in the blue zones eat beans and I'm just not going to live to hundred cause that's just not happening for me <laughs> <Right>. at least. <laughs> right. And, and so I, it's stuff like that, that we need to like do away with, you know, and if we, if we can get down to the fundamental aspect of what's important, then I think we can understand how to make decisions better. And that was really the goal. And so essentially what we focused on were the various systems that interact. So the microbiota, which I mentioned before, which you know we think about as in our gut, right, in our GI tract, but they're on our skin, they're in our liver, they're in our heart, they're in our kidneys, they're in our brain, you know, vaginal canal, they're in our eyes, they're everywhere, right? So these microbiota control function. They literally talk to our mitochondria, which are quasi bacteria that live inside our cells that have their own genome. And these microbiota also talk to our DNA. And so we have this basically three-way communication going on between all these microbiota, the genome of the microbiota, the genome of the mitochondria, and the genome of the human, right? So we have three genetic components here all communicating, trying to figure out what the hell is going on in the environment and how to behave, right? And they all are, their, their goal is the same, right? They all want to live. They're all working together to live and, and be healthy and, and, and prosper, if you will, right? So... Then you have the fourth genetic component that comes in, which is food. And then you have, you know, this is where something like a strawberry contains genetic information, contains microRNA, that food that literally can talk to your cells, your DNA and your mitochondria. That microRNA is a communication tool for our cells. But also the food, the components in that strawberry, for example, the the polyphenols, the phytochemicals, the sugars, these type of things, the, the fibers, they get metabolized by the microbiota in our GI tract. And then our microbiota, after metabolizing those, sort of spit out metabolites, these little communication molecules. And it could be hydrogen sulfide, it could be uh, nitric oxide, it could be short-chain fatty acids, it could be um, reactive oxygen species. These are all sort of communication mechanisms to our mitochondria and our DNA. So this is sort of the fundamental component that we wanted to uh, sort of elucidate that this is how the organism, the superorganism that is we call a human, operates. We require microbiota to sense our environment for us and talk to our own human cells to tell it what's going on in the environment. And then our human cells will respond accordingly by turning on this gene and turning off that gene and doing all these things, right? So if we think about these organisms you know, as being highly adaptive biological entities, then they're always going to be trying to adapt to the environment that it's in. So if you have somebody that's eating processed food and staying up late at night watching a TV and, you know, has this horrible lifestyle, then those are the environmental inputs that your biology is going to try to have to deal with. And it's going to try to adapt to that. And you may not like the adaptations, but it's going to, it's going to do its best, right? So yeah. this is, I think, if we can understand that that's all we're talking about here is the organisms adapting to the environment and behaving in accordance with the environment. Then we can understand sort of the similarities in some of these places and the differences. You know, why this, why they can eat tons of bread in Sardinia and be completely fine. Not only fine, thrive. 
They're eating tons of bread and they're thriving. Bread. That's very cheese, upsetting tomato. to me. It's very upsetting to me. <laughs> right? Wouldn't you? Because like I want to do that. I want to eat bread all day long and cheese, right. and that's pretty right. much it. Yeah. And wine, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's like the goal, right? That's my that's my blue in. zone diet. Exactly. <laughs> but but we have to ask ourselves this, right? Like, why can they be healthy in that environment, eating tons of bread? And I mean, literally tons. And if you ask them, if you talk to these people, they will tell you that's like. You had bread with everything. You did, in fact, it was a sin not to have bread with a meal. And it, it, you could have bread that was three weeks old, and you'd figure out a way to use it. Like you did not let bread go to waste. It was that critical. And so, how can we have that? And yet, in our culture, we demonize the heck out of bread, and we're having these debates. We have whole books on, you know, how demonizing bread. And and you know, in practice, I've told people not to eat bread and stay away from gluten, right? Because it is a reality, I think, in our culture. So, so again, I think we have to see what's going on there, right? And there's a lot to unpack with the bread situation. But I think what that teaches us is that there's no such thing as a quote-unquote bad food. And I know we're looking at lectins now, and I know we're looking at all these plant compounds and thinking that they're bad. But I don't. You can't. You can't adopt that mentality and also look at these people that are healthy that eat tons of corn in Costa Rica. I mean, tons. It's an, it's everything. You know, they're eating rice and they're eating beans. So that right there, it breaks down every known thing about our dietary sort of dogma that we have here in, in the U.S. Yeah, I think, well, our, our problem is all the grains are contaminated with glyphosate and mycotoxins because of the way that they're grown, harvested, and stored. And that's the issue. You go to Europe... You know, you I stuff my safe with my face with croissants all day long, and I'm totally fine. I'm happy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, but it's, well, you so, can't so do that here. It's not the same and think, quality. And I think that's really a huge component of what we're dealing with overall is the toxins, right? I mean, this is this is your world, right? I mean, it's these toxins. It's not a small thing. I know people think that. Oh yeah, so whatever. You know, there's toxins, and I'll do what I can. But I mean, it's everything. The, the toxins are overwhelming us right now and the toxins that when you combine a toxic environment with a shitty lifestyle and toxin a toxic environment with electromagnetic fields i mean sorry like yeah diabetes and autoimmune disease and alzheimer's and parkinson's and you name it like this is going to happen because the body cannot deal with this stuff um they are destroying the microbiota in our systems they're destroying the mitochondria these are the systems, right? So like we can talk about things on an organ level or a tissue level, which is it tends to be where we talk about toxins. But at the end of the day, where they're really impacting things is on the biological systems level, which is always dealing with the mitochondria, the microbiota and the DNA. You know, that, that's where all the things are happening, you know. And so you can't code proteins and unfold proteins properly. And you, you have energetic disturbances in the mitochondria when you have metals in there that shouldn't be there. That have a higher affinity, you know, in the mitochondria than things like copper and, and you know. So, w- w- the toxins are huge, and they they're so disruptive that you almost can't even measure it. You, you we're, we're to the point now where we, it's almost pointless to even look at it. <laughs> you just have to 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 figure out ways to get it out of your out of your environment and out of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Again, these people these people that that are hundred years old and most of the countries around the world. They didn't have, they had literally zero toxins their entire life or most of their life. So, I mean, we can't look, so this is why we can't look at the seven habits, right? Okay, beans and mostly a plant-based diet and wine at five o'clock. 
no, no, toxins, right? Like these things. Yeah, the well, when I read that book, The Blue Zones, I thought, yes, this is what I need to do, wine every night <laughs> at five o'clock. Exactly. Yeah, but I really love everything you're saying here, and I, I agree with so much of it, and uh, I just think it's really exciting that you've created the Human Longevity Project, and I really respect your work so much and uh, your knowledge base and the numerous conversations I've had with you. You really know your stuff. And so tell us, when is the docu-series going to become available to the public, and how can people access it? Yeah, it, it, we are launching it May 7th, um, so it'll be a, a nine-part series, um, and we will release an episode a day starting May 7th, <clears throat> and we cover everything from, you know, we, we get into my, microbiota and mitochondria a little bit, so it gets a little sciency. Um, hopefully, it's sort of kept fun, and, and it's uh, we always try to bring it back to the practical. I mean, that's the, the basis of this, um, but we, we also talk about, you know, diet and exercise. We cover that in great detail, um, and we have a whole episode on environmental toxins and really what's going on there to explain what's what's happening biologically in our, in our bodies. Um, circadian rhythm, we talk about childbirthing, purpose and community, you know, purpose is a funny one, right? Like how does purpose affect longevity? And it, you can kind of think, oh yeah, well probably does. But when you think about biology, like how does purpose actually filter down to biological systems and aging? So we try to uncover that a little bit. Um, so we cover a lot of areas um, and I think we have to look at all of them if we want to you know, have health. You can't just look at one, one area, right? I mean, you know, you know, I've talked about that. Uh, how we have to look at the entire picture in order to get health. So, so it's May seventh. It's online. Um, I think you know probably just a link in the show notes is probably the easiest is, instead of me just trying to uh, throw one out there at, at the audience. But um, but I would encourage anybody that has any interest in in health because that's what we're focusing on um, to to check it out because it's um, it's not a disease focused thing. This it, is our goal is to empower uh, anybody that's going to watch this, inform them on how to make the lifestyle decisions and how powerful these lifestyle decisions are. Because a lot of times, you know, when you tell a client or, or a friend or whatever, hey, you should get up in the morning and go outside and get sun in your eyes. I mean, like they, they don't <laughs> think that's going to solve their autoimmune disease, right? Yeah, but it yeah. can literally put autoimmune it disease in remission. It can't be that simple. <laughs> right. So we have to no unpack way. that, right, and like really show how powerful that is. And, yeah. and so that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. And listeners, if you want to tune into the Human Longevity Project, just go to MyersDetox.com, search for Jason Prawl, and you can find the link in the show notes in the podcast. And again, Jason, thank you so much for blessing us with your presence and uh, you know coming on the show. And uh, listeners, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to MyersDetox.com. Uh, where can people find you, Jason? Uh, I mean, honestly, everything is going into the Human Longevity Project right now. So they can find me on Facebook if they if they search my name. But uh, uh, the Human Longevity Project is where, where I'm at for now and, and probably where I'll be going forward. Okay, great. Fantastic. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. It's really my pleasure to educate you about health and, and longevity. This is the Live to 110 podcast. So so it's great. We, we don't do a lot of shows on longevity, but, you know, we, uh, we get to it eventually, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and so you guys can... Uh, learn more about me, like I said, at MyersDetox.com. And if you want to download my top 10 tips of detox like a pro checklist, you can go to DetoxForEnergy.com. Thank you so much for tuning in.